This is Power for Living, the Bible teaching ministry of Christ the King Church in Wakefield, Massachusetts. I'm your host, Feliciano Segundo, and our teacher is Father Michael Carl. So get all your Bibles and let's get started. Well, today we are going to look at Acts chapter 1, which is technically, or according to this tradition, our Old Testament reading for today, but Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. But the first thing we have to do is remember the gospel we just read. Because as you might notice, there are some similarities in how Luke closes the gospel of Acts, and, or gospel of Luke, and how he opens up the book of Acts. Because remember it says, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with the all that Jesus began to do and teach. Now that's what Luke says at the beginning of the gospel, uh, at the beginning of Acts. Now, the first book he wrote was, of course, the gospel of Luke. And if we go back there and take a look, he begins the gospel of Luke with, inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word that have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely, for some time to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. Now, so here he goes, and in Acts 1, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. You see, there is a connection there. Because it used to be, before the final version of the Bible was decided upon in the church councils, according to the wisdom of the Holy Spirit, Luke and Acts were put together as one book. Because, if you will, Acts is the sequel to the Gospel of Luke. And Acts also is historically accurate. In the mid-1960s, A.N. Sherwin-White, an expert in Greco-Roman history from Oxford, wrote about Acts. The historical framework is exact. In terms of time and place, the details are precise and correct. As documents, these narratives belong to the same historical series as the record of provincial and imperial trials in epigraphical and literary sources of the first and early second centuries. For Acts, the confirmation of historicity is overwhelming. Any attempt to reject its basic historicity, even in matters of detail, must now appear absurd. And he follows that, completing that remark. Roman historians have long taken it for granted. So all those Roman historians that wrote about during the first century and the second century, accepted the book of Acts as a historical record of what happened with the Apostle Paul and in how that book in Acts relates to what's going on in the Roman Empire. If you read through the book of Acts, you'll notice there are several places where something that happened is tied directly to something going on historically. Because like, was it Priscilla and Aquila were kicked out of Rome because it was the emperor Claudius kicked all the Jews out. So they had to leave, but Luke makes reference to that. So there is historical accuracy there. Now, let's look 
at this fellow Theophilus. Who is he? This man might have been a Christian wanting instruction. He might have been a Roman official being briefed by Luke about the history of the Christian movement, or the name could be symbolic because the name Theophilus means God lover. So, in terms of proofs, there are 10 post-resurrection appearances that Jesus made to his disciples, where Luke tells us during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Now, then Jesus tells his apostles this promise and tells them to wait. While staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. The Holy Spirit. They're being promised that they're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's not the same thing as being filled with the Holy Spirit. You get filled with the Holy Spirit when, you, when you're converted. This is the subsequent action of the Holy Spirit working in our lives as the anointing to give us power as we go along. But he tells them, wait and you will be filled with, by the promise of the Father. Now, what did they ask Jesus immediately following that? So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So what, is it, what are they asking? They're asking for a worldly kingdom. Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Like kick out the Romans, set up this great kingdom here on earth. So that's what they're asking. Jesus is talking about the promise of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And they're asking about the politics, basically. And so all that means is that they hadn't been quite baptized in the Holy Spirit yet either because their minds are still halfway on the things of the world. They want to know if Jesus is going to restore the kingdom. But how did Jesus answer them? And this is something we all have to keep in mind for those of us who are aficionados of second coming prophecy. What does Jesus tell them? He says, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. And then Jesus goes on to talk about the Holy Spirit again. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, and in all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. From Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then Samaria. And then where? To the ends of the earth. It's always been God's intention to get as many people to know him as possible. Jesus does not tell them that Israel will not be restored. Instead, he tells them that the times or seasons are God's business, not theirs. As the keepers of classified documents would say today, you have no need to know. Now, remember that very well. Need to know. Jesus doesn't want the apostles to be distracted 
by the times or the seasons when they have more urgent business to take care of. He wants to redirect their attention from things that they don't need to know to the things they do need to know. So in other words, the issue here is focus. Put your mind on the things that you really need to concentrate on. Put your mind on the things you need to think about and consider. And in this case, put your minds on getting the word out, literally. Preaching the gospel, sharing the truth of the fact that Jesus came, he died, he rose again, and then he ascended into heaven. You see, this is so crucial. That's why Ascension Sunday is important, because in a few minutes we're going to get to why Ascension Sunday is important. Now, as he was speaking, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. Now, what kind of cloud is this? Well, it's not a rain cloud. It's not a cirrus cirrus cloud or whatever. This cloud is the Shekinah glory, the glory cloud. It's bright, it's shiny, and it's reminiscent for the apostles' sake of the moment in the transfiguration when they saw Jesus light up and turn radiant. This is the Shekinah glory cloud that takes up Jesus and he disappears from their sight. But then there's two men that appear to the apostles to talk to them. And these are probably, possibly the same two men that are sitting on the stones in the tomb when they go check to see what happened with the resurrection. Because in John's gospel and in Luke's gospel, there are two men in that tomb saying, why are you looking for Jesus here? He's not here, he's risen. So, why is that significant? There are two angels, And what do we know from the law of Moses? That everything had to be upheld by the testimony of two witnesses. So there are two angels there saying, he's not here, he rose from the dead. And by the way, go tell all of his friends that he's risen from the dead like he said he was going to. So, he will return. Those two guys tell us that Jesus is going to return in the same way that we saw him go which means in glory, because he didn't just disappear from sight. He was taken up by the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory. He will come in a way as you saw him go into heaven. So what we get from that is this precious promise that Jesus will return, that he is indeed coming back. But it's important also to know where he went. And he went up to be seated on his throne, the right hand of the Father. So why is this important? Why are we spending any time on the ascension? Because usually it's the least talked about or the least celebrated of all the Christian festivals. Because we get into Easter, you know, hallelujah, he's risen from the dead. We get all warm and fuzzy Christmas time talking about how Jesus was born but we don't think much about the ascension. And that's an important ingredient in this because he goes up to heaven, sits down on his throne, and from that point on, he is the reigning king of the universe. So Jesus' kingdom is in existence right now. Why is that important for us? It's because the ascended Christ is available for communication and fellowship. He is supremely personal. 
the ascended Christ is supremely powerful. As the ascended king, he is sovereign over every part of the created order. Tim Keller argues he controls all things for the church, and therefore you can face the world with peace in your heart. And number three, the ascended Christ guarantees that you can know you are forgiven, accepted, and delighted in by God the Father. He is our advocate who intercedes constantly for us. Keller explains further, so when the Bible says that Jesus stands as our advocate and representative before the throne of the universe, it is a way to say that he is ascended and not just levitated. He's up there with the th in the throne room. He's the lamb, the triumphant one that John witnesses in the book of Revelation. And it's from this place that Jesus does his interceding for us and works things out in our lives when things look really complicated. So, what we can know from this is that when Jesus took off or was lifted up and went into heaven, he went there so he could begin to be his eternal, do his eternal ministry and be seated in glory, but intercede for us still. So, Let's celebrate the fact that right now we can sense the glory of the Lord in our own lives and in our hearts because Jesus ascended into heaven. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us for this week's edition of Power for Living. If you happen to miss any of our other programs, be sure to go to our podcast page at ChristTheKingNorthShore.Podbean.com. And you can also visit our website at www.ctknorthshore.org. If this program has been a blessing, feel free to let us know. Write us at Power for Living, Care of Christ the King Church, 4 Railroad Avenue, Suite 309 in Wakefield, Massachusetts, 01880. Or you can also send us an email at ChristTheKingNorthShore at gmail.com. You can be a part of this gospel ministry by becoming a patron of Power for Living. You can find out how by clicking the Become a Patron button at the top of our podcast page. That's it for this week, and until next time, remember that Jesus is your Power for Living. Mm -hmm.